I like to be on the stage and do this star jump (laughs) and say that that's the sort of life you should be living is taking up as much space as you possibly can and exploring every single edge personally and professionally and not feeling that you're putting yourself into a straitjacket. Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organisations and communities. Coffee Potters, we have another brilliant guest for you on today's program. I'm talking about none other than Sally Cap, the former head of the Victorian Property Council, who has put her hat in the ring to run for Lord Mayor of Melbourne. Now, we'll get to that later, but her bio is a fascinating one, perhaps most famous for the fact she was the first female member of the Collingwood Football Club board. She was also the first woman to hold the post of Agent General for Victoria in London. She spent 10 years as a lawyer before launching a funds management business that later listed on the ASX, one of the few females to have run an ASX-listed company at the time. And she's also held the chief executive role for Committee of Melbourne, was a senior executive at ANZ Bank, you name it. She's done uh, the whole gamut. Now, I do just want to reiterate to all of our listeners, Coffee Pods will never be a place where we're about giving people political platforms or the opportunity to roll out their lines. This podcast is committed to ensuring everyone who listens to it has the opportunity to garner advice, insight, know-how that can better enable them to be the change that they want to see in their community, organisational life. And this is truly at the essence of this podcast too. We're going to talk about risk-taking, leadership, uh, how to make difficult decisions, the art of influencing. I think you're going to garner an enormous amount from this podcast. Let's get right into it. Here's Sally. Sally Cap, welcome to Coffee Pots. Thanks so much for making the time to join us. Holly Ransom, thank you so much for having me. There's a whole lot of what you're currently in the thick of that I obviously want to unpack, but I feel like before we get into the here and now, we've really got to go back. You've had such a fascinating career and one that's uh, interestingly involved a variety of roles across government, corporate, nonprofit. And I'm really keen to get a sense of, of what was kind of the common through line and passion that has driven you throughout the course of your career and the different roles you've had. Holly, great question, because if you look at my CV, uh, I'm sort of a millennial before my time. (laughs) I'm uh, somebody that has changed careers probably 10 times already, and uh, I still say to my children who are adults now. Uh, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So it's been a fantastic journey. Uh, The common thread when I look back is definitely a quest to keep challenging myself uh, by putting myself into new situations. Uh, And I recognise that even in doing that, I'm, I'm obviously bringing with me the skills and experiences from previous roles but it's that desire to then keep applying those to new situations where I feel I can add value, but I know that I'm also being stretched myself. So that could be a completely different sector, a 
completely different type of role. It could be a different geography, uh, a new market, all sorts of, of things. I wear a big open heart, open mind, and I've, I've found that opportunities come and find me more often than not. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because probably more than anyone we've featured on Coffee Pods before, you've had uh, careers across all three sectors, substantial roles in government, corporate, and nonprofit. And I'd really love to get a sense of what your criteria are for saying yes to an opportunity. Well, when I look back at the first part of my journey, I started as a lawyer uh, and uh, I practiced commercial law for 10 years and that seemed a fairly straight sort of trajectory. Uh, And then I think you get to a point in your life, particularly when you're uh, in an advisory role or in a role that gives advice where you question yourself, are you going to keep giving other people advice or are you actually going to have a go yourself? And uh, with two young boys, uh, two boys under two actually, it seemed like a perfect time to go out and take a complete risk and, uh, <laughs> and start my own business. I don't know really what it was in that point, but when I, I do look back at significant things that have happened in my career, they've often come with a mishmash of what's happening in my personal life as well. Those times when you really reflect on what's important to you and what motivates you and what makes you passionate. And certainly um, I didn't have a lot of time off with the kids at all, but having all of those uh, challenges happening in your personal life and seeing how you can extend yourself and understanding more about uh, what you're passionate about certainly helps helps you make decisions in your professional life as well. That happened then and then a few years later it happened again when I had cancer and at those two points they were major pivot points in my career as a reorientation and uh, I guess that time for introspection and then to launch back out again into something new. So I do believe in making sure that you're living the whole of your life Mm -hmm. you know when I'm talking to kids particularly school kids about career stuff I like to be on the stage and do this star jump (laughs) and say that that's the sort of life you should be living is taking up as much space as you possibly can and exploring every single edge personally and professionally and not feeling that you're putting yourself into a straitjacket in terms of a a vertical linear um, sort of life. I love that star jump visual. That's brilliant. I wanted to touch on the introspection that you mentioned there, uh, both with regards to the reflection you had uh, with having your two sons and also the challenge of facing cancer. How did they change you as a leader? Yeah, I think they, well, I know, they they really reoriented my priorities. I do feel that at times when you, you are under pressure, on that personal side of your life, it does force you to reassess. And uh, I've taken that opportunity to really question uh, what is what is important to me. So leaving the law, uh, which I loved and it taught me so much, and going out and starting with a piece of paper and a pencil uh, in terms of starting a new business. And I did have a business partner who was a former client and we literally looked at each other across a desk like you and I are doing now and twiddled our fingers and got excited and then uh, got scared. Uh, and then building that up. Uh, into a uh, a successful business and listing it on the Australian Stock Exchange was fantastic. 
and at the time there were only five women leading ASX-listed companies. We probably haven't moved on too much more from then, uh, but it was a very interesting time uh, to be doing that. And I know you like this word as well, Holly, authenticity. Mm. It's probably my favourite thing. It's something I've really taken into this Lord Mayor race as well. Uh, if you can't be authentic, what's the point? There are some key indicators that, have, that I, I look to uh, for change in my career as well. And when I feel like I can't be myself and be authentic and lead and work in the way that I want to, that's when I know that it's time to, to move on. And that includes the, the voluntary roles I've been in as well. So those times where there's been those pressures in, in, uh, in my personal life, uh, it, it's given me, I guess, in a weird way, the opportunity to sit back and just take stock again mm. and then apply those values, those priorities back across to my professional career and, as I said, pivot uh, into something that's different. You touched on the authenticity point there and I'm interested to know who were your role models growing up through the early stages of your career that have had a really fundamental impact on shaping the way that you look at leadership and the sort of leader that you want to be? Yeah, I really love um, leaders and mentors that... Uh, not afraid to be different. They're not uh, held back by norms. Uh, I think you can really tell people that are saying what they think. And I've been lucky to be surrounded by a lot of those sorts of people. You know, I think for a lot of us, we've had hardworking parents. I certainly did. I grew up in an environment where I believed I could be anything I wanted to be. I was so lucky um, to grow up in that sort of environment. Complete tomboy. Um, I played football until I was 13. Nobody said I couldn't, so I did uh, at a time when really others weren't. So those those just sort of those little examples. um, And again, trying so many different things. Uh, I know my dad at one point worried that I was going to be too much of a jack of all trades and was I going to be you know, really good at one thing. But the fact is, as I said, I'd rather do that star jump in life and make sure that I've touched as many edges of my boundaries as I can. But in addition to that, I was really lucky to have also uh, other close family that were doing amazing things. And and I'll just mention one, which is my aunt, Ros Kelly, who I know you know as well, who was one of the first women parliamentarians in our, our federal government who uh, was the first sitting parliamentarian to have children, uh, was, uh, you know, the first female um, minister for defence science and and information, all sorts of other things like that. So a real trailblazer, somebody very invested in family and leading and guiding and spent a lot of time with, with me. And having role models like that that are so close to you has been just a gift my whole life as well in terms of support and pushing and encouraging support. And uh, so I feel very lucky to have those sorts of role models so close to me. I've had lots of great women and men mentors and I think it's really important to make sure you have a balance of those as well. And I've always sought out people that have done something extraordinary or different from their peers And one of the reasons why that's paid off so well for me is because it's normally those people that are happy to have conversations with young 
up-and-comers who are cheeky enough to actually ask them for a coffee because they recognise the same sort of spirit. For many of those, uh, even if they were somebody I called for a coffee when I was first out of law school, I could still call them for a coffee today. Lots of credit to you and the relationships you've built, and it makes me appreciate why when this cheeky upstart called you and asked for a coffee all those years ago that you made the time available. I'm very indebted to you for that and for all the subsequent mentoring that's come uh, since then. Well, it works both ways, doesn't it? Well, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, Now, listen, I wanted to touch on risk-taking, you know, whether it's having that confidence in yourself to pick up the phone and call the person who's done the thing that you really admire and ask them for a cup of coffee, or deciding when you've got two boys under the age of four that now's a great time to pick up a pen, pencil and a piece of paper and go out and start your own business. Where does that chutzpah come from? And how have you kept that alive over the course of your career? Because it's often one of those things when we have a momentary setback or a particular challenge that we face, we maybe don't get an idea up first go or we face uh, someone not maybe coming back to us with the level of enthusiasm we might hope. Uh, It's really difficult sometimes to keep that level of confidence and courage to keep putting yourself out there alive. It's a really good question. And... uh... You know, I really believe this is something that you can develop over time. You know, I'd love to say that I've always uh, been that way, but for me, I've also had to develop a style in some way. Uh, We all have our natural uh, elements of fear. Don't get me wrong, I, I have it a lot. I'm fearful every day at the moment. I live in a constant state of perspiration at the moment uh, because I'm in a completely new situation. Uh, But then there's a lot of stimulation that comes from that and excitement as well. But just to go back for a moment, I mean, I do have to say that when I um, was growing up, one of our sort of, I guess, family mantras was that it's actually better to have a go than not to have tried it all. And I think that's been so helpful for me. Mm. And even personally, I I mean, one of my personal things is that I'm a very trusting person and it comes from the same rule, really. I would rather trust and love and be proven wrong than not Mm. trust and love in the first place. I know it leads to a lot of heartbreak. I've been let down. But I I just find that um, for me that's a better way to live than to hold back, hold back, hold back because sometimes you miss the opportunity. So uh, so that's been a fantastic mantra to grow up uh, with. But nonetheless, I've had those classic situations. I will never forget my 18-month pay review as an article clerk. And it was the classic situation of knowing that I'd worked so hard and that it was time for me to have some sort of, not just a pay rise, but also a recognition of my efforts in terms of other opportunities because I was busy doing mortgages and mortgage documentation and there's nothing exciting (laughs) about doing mortgages and mortgage documentation. But I made it, you know, my passion in life for those 18 months to really prove that I could do that well and all the other things that come with, with performing well in a workplace. And I knew that my colleagues, I was the only female article clerk in that, that intake in my law firm, that my other colleagues were getting other opportunities like secondments or moving to different departments for other experiences, etc. And after 18 months, I was still doing mortgages. And when I sat down with my boss and he told me that I'd done a fantastic job 
and that my reward was um, an extra $500 a year in my pay packet, which was actually quite decent in those days. I was on $12,721 per annum, Holly, so it was a long time ago. And um, just keep doing what I was doing. I was trapped inside my mind screaming, ah, what is going on? Why can't he see what I've been doing and why can't he understand what I want to do? And so I did what every confident, articulate young lawyer does. I burst into tears (laughs) because the emotion had built up inside me And the good thing at that point, apart from the humiliation of crying in what's supposed to be a professional situation, was that I looked at his face and realised he had no idea. Mm. He had no idea how I was feeling. And it really taught me that um, I have a responsibility to myself to express in whatever way I can the things that I want in life because I can't shift that responsibility to somebody else for them to be a mind reader or spend hours analysing my moods, behaviours, work to try and work out then what did I want in my life. It's actually my responsibility to do that. And I know it sounds like a funny little moment, but it taught me so much and I can visualise it today. I walked out of the room, grabbed some tissues, composed myself and I came back in and I had the most wonderful conversation with my boss who was shattered. He said, I don't want you to be upset. I, You come into work smiling every day. You work so hard. You seem to be so happy. Why would we change anything? Uh, so uh, it, it taught me in that moment that... Um, I am the master of my own destiny in that way. And I can't say that the next day I became an expert at telling people what I want or putting myself out there. But what I did do is over time um, develop a style for helping communicate to people what I've enjoyed about something, what new challenges I'm looking for, um, what I feel I don't know enough of and I need help with, uh, what different environments I want to be in or different deals, etc. And from that, I've created then a very positive way of helping put myself out there to other people and and having that confidence to actually do it because every time I've done it doesn't mean that it's been successful, but it means you've practised. It means people understand where you want to go, even if it's not that time. Uh, And it's, in a lot of cases, created a whole raft of possibilities for me. And just to come back to what I'm going through at the moment with the uh, running for Lord Mayor, which I've never done, I've never had to ask for so many things in terms of help in a short period of time, concentrated period of time. It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? It is. And I've been overwhelmed with the response back. That's awesome. It's been uh, the most incredibly motivating thing. It's like I've got a little winder on my back and every time I put myself out there to ask for something and I'm getting it back in abundance, it winds me up again to keep going through something that's so new and scary for me. To extend out kind of the question there, I'm just thinking about you talked about putting yourself forward in those situations for opportunities that you're after. I'm interested also in the idea of putting an idea forward, you know, coming to the board table at Collingwood for the first time or or situations where you're seeking to influence and get people to understand your perspective and be open to a new way of thinking. What have you learned in uh, the 
experience that you've had today about how to do that to greatest effect? It's a good question. Well, firstly, understanding uh, that not everybody sees it your sees your perspective so you've got to understand I think empathy and taking the time to actually consider other people's perspectives is really important I consider that my major piece of homework I might see it some way and I I don't take ideas unless I'm completely passionate about them so I would have had to have done all the work about the idea itself and why I think it's worthwhile I've got to be prepared for other people not to accept that, but I'm going to actually put my most into it. But when you're taking risks, the best thing you can do is prepare uh, around the mitigation of those risks. And that's really what I talk about when I say take risks in your career, in your life. The best thing you can do is mitigate it from your own perspective, but also from everybody else's. Because if you want people to come with you, you've got to understand from their perspective what is the risk. From their perspective, what are the scary points? What will be their resistance to change? Uh, And how can I help overcome those by actually being prepared for them? Is it the way I communicate it? Is it um, their own vested interests or personal agendas that that may be a barrier to them considering this? Is it that they don't like change, so I would have to introduce it in little bits over time so that that there's a ta-da moment that's six months down the track instead of the first way down the track. And really asking myself those questions and putting um, um, a different point of view to mine uh, into my consideration uh, of the idea itself and also how to communicate that idea then helps you lead on that idea uh, because you've done the pre-work. The other thing I think is really important is that my idea and my current view of that idea can also be enhanced by others' views. So it can be a better view of a situation if when I take my idea I'm completely open to the feedback of others. So I might have done all that preparation to mitigate the risk, but I still need to have my mind open to how it could be improved or better. A lot of people come in with ideas to situations around a board table, for example, or to present to teams. Uh, And if you're so fixated on only that, there will be major stumbling blocks. If you understand what the core of it is, but you're open to the fact that it could be improved, enhanced by the inputs of others, then the result is not just that it's a better idea, but that you've got the ownership of those people in the idea because they've contributed to it as well. And then again, that makes it much easier to lead on that idea because people are willing to come in behind you and support you uh, because, you know, they've been part of the journey. It might only be that last part, um, but it's still still really important. But if you don't come in, again, the homework bit, but if you really don't come in with new ideas with the energy and passion for it, why would anybody else share that energy and passion with you? Uh, so it's really a combination of those those ideas. And at the end of the day, I am completely prepared for rejection and failure. I don't like it but I'm prepared for it. I'm prepared to accept it. And if I'm still passionate about it, I'll go away, think about what happened, move forward and come back to it. Uh, Because if you're not prepared for failure, Mm -hmm. uh, then again, I think you're going to come up against some really big barriers. Because to me, failure, as you know, Holly, because you're 
way ahead on this as well, that those failures are really part of your journey towards ultimate success. And the time that I spent working in Israel really taught me that. I, In one of my first meetings in Israel talking about a new idea to a venture capitalist, one of the top five venture capitalists there, he said, show me your biggest five failures before I will even consider looking at that idea. And I wasn't prepared for that question. Don't think many people would be. No, and I was starting to stumble through it and I said, you know what, I'm going to go away and come back properly prepared for that and I'll make another meeting with you. And so I did that. But their approach to appreciating failure and failure being a good word instead of what I find in a lot of Australian cultures where failure is a... You know, it's it's we we almost reject. Well, we do. We reject people based on failure, and yet there are so many learnings in failure. So, uh, really being prepared for that, and uh, you know, we don't like it, but if you can embrace it, uh, then that that gives you again that confidence around putting new ideas forward. I wanted to ask you about leadership in the here and now because you're putting your hand up for a public leadership role at the moment at a time which I think is a really interesting one for leadership at large. You know, we're seeing trust levels declining around the world. We've seen significant public disillusionment with people, particularly in uh, political office. I'm interested for what you think we need to see more of in leadership uh, at this moment in time. Yeah, look, I I agree. Uh, I don't know how did we get to this situation with politics. We're in a situation where somebody's got to be a winner and somebody's got to be a loser. We're in a situation where we don't have any proper debates about issues to really explore, uh, to explore them and then to build them back up again so that that we get to a, a better outcome. We are set on arguing for the sake of arguing, disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing, instead of a focus on building consensus and planning for the long term. And I'm over it. I'm completely over it. In my more recent roles, uh, I've spent a lot of time advocating and working with government. There are many parts of that that I enjoy, but the party politics is so divisive and destructive to good outcomes. And I've seen it quite a lot recently in both federal and state uh, politics. So when this role of Lord Mayor came up, a big part of uh, why I got involved was about trust uh, in our uh, public institutions and, and public roles. And it was also one of the reasons why I'm running as an independent So I don't have to be bound by a party ideology. I don't have to say yes to things I don't agree with. And the important thing for me, particularly at a local government level, local government level is about engagement with the community and it's about delivering things at a community level. So if something is a good idea, we should do it and we should all get in behind it. We shouldn't be divided about declaring whether it's a good idea on the basis of who came up with the idea, what is their background, even what are their political beliefs. I really don't care if it's a great idea, let's make it happen. And so that I that, that concept of ideas to outcomes and doing it regardless, I'm absolutely passionate about. 
and actually the experience I've had working with all sorts of different governments and working with industry and community, I think gives me a really good chance of building that cohesion towards delivering outcomes based on those good ideas. So I'd like to have a go. I hope I get the opportunity to actually see if we can do that and really focus on delivering good things and making things happen in our community and not getting completely bogged down in party politics and arguing about whether somebody's right or wrong. We're all right. Get out of this binary situation that we seem to be stuck in. We really are. And it's, um, you know, I, I think it's causing... Well, I know it is. A lot of disappointment and frustration. There's a study that just came out that's done regularly in the United States and now here in Australia asking people about their views on democracy and their trust for government. It won't surprise you that since the Second World War, the levels of trust in government, so just talking about public institutions for a moment, has declined now dramatically. Uh, And unfortunately, in the latest study here in Australia, the uh, number in the Australian um, New Zealand National uh, Australian New Zealand School of Government has these results. If anybody's interested, said that less than thirty percent of people under twenty five believe that democracy is an effective form of government. They didn't have to come up with an alternative, but just the fact that they said that is really scary. On the other hand, what's growing? It is is a desire for four levels of government, which really surprises me because why would we want more of it? (laughs) But the fact is that people are looking to levels of government where they have a closer connection and the larger levels of trust are actually between citizens and local government than citizens and federal government, which you can understand in terms of Uh, connection into local issues, proximity, uh, involvement, uh, and that sense of whether people truly understand what's happening to them in the community that they live in and dealing with the day-to-day struggles and issues that they have and contributing to creating opportunities in those communities. The further away you are, the more difficult that is. I'm not saying that those macro issues aren't important. I'm just reflecting back on what those studies are showing us. And so the opportunity for me to be able to lead our capital city at a local government level at a time when we need to build trust back up into a significant role, which is the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, was what motivated me to get involved. Very exciting times and a wonderful motivation for the role. So I'm very grateful for the time you've made available. I know you're in thick of campaign mode at the moment, but I have two quick questions I'd like to ask you before we finish up. The first is, what's the best bit of advice that you've received over the course of your career that you'd like to pay forward and share with our listeners? Oh, gosh, that's a toughie, Holly. The best bit of advice um, that I've had. I'm going to go back to your theme on pay it forward, and I'm coming back to where I started. Um, When I started in my career, a lot of about what I did was on quantity. Could I bill the most hours as a lawyer? You know, could I collect the most business cards at the, you know, networking functions that we went to? Uh, Could I spend the most time in the office? Uh, All those sorts of things. It was very quantity. And um, I had some advice early on, and and it's, it's been great advice about quality and the quality of the interactions and the quality of the advice and the quality of the time. 
And it's helped me a lot also balance different priorities in my life. So uh, the thing about quality uh, um, and that theme in my life has also been about the quality of interactions and the quality of relationships that I've built. So one of my key rules, I've got three key rules in my career, one of them is to create a network of supporters, not a support network, a network of supporters. And supporters for me are people that will champion me, that will advocate on my behalf, that will step in, lean in, if you like, at times when I need them. And I know when I feel confident they'll do that because I've done the same for them. And that relationship is built on substance and it's built on the quality of interaction I've had with those people where I've been able to demonstrate my expertise or my commitment and dedication or my uh, personal passion for something. It's the quality of that interaction and the quality of the relationship I've been able to build over time, which gives me confidence that I have a network of supporters, not just a huge network of people because at the end of the day if you can't uh, be confident that it's going to be two-way and you can get something back and that the other person feels the same way well then what's the point it's a whole lot of acquaintances it's a whole lot of names in a book or in a database that actually don't have any meaningful contribution to your life and in reverse yours to theirs, which at the end of the day is something that gives you such a quality of life. So um, adding that quality into everything that you're doing uh, and doing that uh, early and over long periods of time has been key to me and that was a fantastic piece of advice I had early on, probably after coming back from one of those networking parties <laughs> and having 120 cards and feeling like I was a winner, but actually I was the loser. Uh, so uh, I'm really focused on quality and substance as a key element of, of my life, both personally and professionally. I love that. And I feel like I would be letting down the Coffee Pods audience if I didn't ask what your other two of the three rules are. Number one is definitely to take risks, but with a focus on mitigating. Uh, so being empathetic, um, looking at other people's perspectives and building that confidence and and uh, and uh, group think, if you like, around, around those risks. And uh, my next rule is, and we touched on it earlier, is to tell people what you want which is actually accepting that you are completely responsible for what happens in your life and be excited and embrace that completely by building up your own style and confidence to tell people what you want. Because when you're able to do that, they're able to help you back and they will help you back if you've created a network of supporters, which is the quality and substance piece. So they're, they're my three. Great. And I go back to them all the time. I love that. I'm going to write those down myself. And finally, if you could leave our listeners with a call to action today, what would you like that to be? A call to action today and what would I encourage them to do? Uh, I think um, the journey that I'm on at the moment has really taught me that in the 50 years, Holly, that I have been on this earth and in that time, as we've discussed, I've been involved in so many things, uh, what I have resisted is uh, getting involved in politics, even small p politics, uh, because of the um, what I've seen as the very negative um, impact. But what I also know is that at the end of the day, 
Uh, our governments are very important for setting our pathways, for judging the tone of our values, uh, for behaviours that reflect the standards of our society uh, and for implementing uh, programs uh, that are absolutely vital to creating healthy, sustainable communities. And if we don't get involved in that in some way, then we're actually only letting ourselves down uh, and the people that we love I've realised over this short time um, that, again, whether it's running for office or it's being involved in the background uh, of politics, uh, that creating change in that world is important if we're actually going to create long-term lasting change uh, in our society. So I'm really glad that I've started it at this time. Um, I'm glad that it's even that it's at local government level um, at the coalface. It really doesn't matter. But if we want to see change in the areas in our communities, that's the most disappointing to us at the time, whatever it might be in the future. But for me at the moment, it's this. Then you actually have to get involved. And that's the threshold that I've stepped over with this decision I've made. And I would really encourage others, if this is our biggest challenge of the time, and I think it is, then we actually need really a lot more good people with the right motivations uh, to get involved. I absolutely love that. What a brilliant call to arms to finish on. Sal, thank you so much for the generosity with which you've shared today. It's been an absolute privilege to have you not only on Coffee Pods today, but involved in my my life for the last five, six plus years. And I must say, one of the things I love about you is the way you wholeheartedly throw your passion into everything that you do. Uh, I think you're an incredible fusion of heart and intellect, and it's been phenomenal to watch the way your network of supporters has come around you in a variety of roles you've held up to this point and certainly in this moment uh, to support you in, in doing that. Uh, I look forward to following uh, this mayoral race uh, very closely and I can imagine it all feels very uh, a bit scary and on the line right now, but it's a credit to you for standing up to your principles and, uh, and living what you preach. Holly, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to me with this uh, husky voice of mine. I've been talking too much, obviously, uh, and I am filled with trepidation. I'll be devastated if it doesn't go the way I would like it to. But I also know that by putting myself out there, again, I've just learned so much and, uh, and I'll be the richer for it. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.